Oh yeah, here we go. It's episode 100 of Hype Drop, and we have CP, aka Denester, on the program today. Thank you for being a part of it, CP. Thank you guys for listening. CP and I really get into obviously Project Dive Roll Two just came out, and with that we go into some of the lessons learned and just requirements of peaking and what that means to peak and what different kinds of um, training you can accentuate as you mature and also his efforts in Lion City gathering and being an advocate and a community leader and putting the events together and working to really advocate again for the community and um, especially in Singapore where there's very different sort of atmosphere in terms of how parkour is received and so i think we can learn a lot from cp and i really appreciate him sharing thank you guys for being a part of this one listen all the way through and i'll see you at the end of the episode cheers you know now that we're live here um yes. i have to just like applaud you obviously the project dive roll 2 was just amazing super inspiring video just you know everyone loved it it's already been kind of <laughs> uh by the time this episode airs, at least, like I'm sure most of the people in my audience have seen it, but um, it's worth rewatching a couple of times because every time I rewatch it, I've noticed, you know, just like the technicality of each role at a next level, you know, and just understanding, oh shit, like that hand placement was just way different. And then I initially thought, you know, you kind of first time it's just, you can see the scale of the jumps. And then every rewatch, you get a little bit more of the technical like difficulty of like, what's that elevation change? Is he diving over? Um, and where is his hands? Where are his hands being placed? And so, yeah, just huge applause for you, my man, on that project. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, like, so could you describe like how that journey was for you and why, you know, it took four years and, and I know you've probably talked about this on your channel and, and on Dom's mm -hmm. podcast and others, but um, just to reiterate, if there's anything yeah i guess it didn't i didn't want to take four years i didn't i just wanted to do it in maybe a year or so but it just dragged on for a little bit longer than i wanted it to mainly because of other injuries and work and just overall you know i have to manage time with my family and my relationship so it just took longer than expected and initially i was quite against it because I, I i don't really like to drag on projects for too long it feels like i'm procrastinating mm. you know but it, it isn't really just procrastinating because uh there's a reason why i'm taking longer to achieve those dive roles it's really just um because i have quite high expectations of this project myself so uh, i wanted it to mean something and if i were to just film any any other dive roles in that video i don't think it would have that impact that you guys um showed you know like like that video has showed so um yeah i guess um by taking that long it kind of paid off in the end mm -hmm. um, and i'm actually happy that i took my time with it because i was almost um wanting to post the video like two years ago i kind of had like a small edit you know, <laughs> like special like editing or anything like that but yeah i was like kind of done with 
you know, holding the project back for any longer. Which I kind of, I had a little bit of dread. Like I'm, I was no longer looking forward to, you know, going for a, for another day of shoot and stuff like that. Because <laughs> it was just tiring, and my body's some days I don't feel like I'm strong. And if I were to go and try this dive roll when I'm not feeling fresh, then I know that it, it just won't turn out well. So mm. mentally, there was a lot that I'm going through in terms of parkour, not like outside of parkour, but like even the jumps itself requires a lot of mental energy. So it was becoming like a dread. Mm. So I just wanted to make sure that uh, I wasn't in that state when I was. How did you, how did you push past that? What, what got you through that state and got you uh, to keep, keep hold on to the clips and save them for the bigger release years later? I just just didn't feel happy when I watched the edit. I know that I have more. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I have more to show, which is always a like even after you know like this whole project yeah. for two when I watch it, I mean I'm happy right now, but during like during the editing phase I was still like thinking maybe I should try this other dive role. I still have this goal. I still have this shot I wanna take. And I kind of like had to stop myself, I guess, because I already reached a point where it makes sense to end the video because it's like four minutes worth. Previously, it was like two minutes or something. And it was like, I mean, it can be a video still, but you know, it's not really my, I'm still not fully satisfied. So when I hit four minutes, I kind of felt, okay, I have enough content now. And I, I feel that all of it were very worthy to be in the video. So yeah, I think... I shouldn't spend too much more time because it can just go on forever. And I yeah, think it's like a bad habit of mine. I don't know if it's a bad habit per se, but I do drag on uh, my projects for a long time. Like even my other smaller videos in YouTube, it's it's like one year, two years, stuff like that. And I mean, there's a beauty in it, but there's also like that you don't want to push past a point where it's just too late, like too long. <laughs> I know what you mean for sure. Yeah, there's a phrase that's been floating around actually in my circle lately, and it's perfection is the enemy of good, you know, which is like what you're speaking to, I think. And certainly, you know, I've any any large project I've worked on, that's been the issue. It's been an issue It's just like, Mm -hmm. oh, my God. And I've not worked on that many, but I've worked on at least one big one like um and it took at least i think it took us four years roughly to get it out or it was like two and a half or something like way longer than we expected we expected to put it out the same year we shot it was it the mom documentary yeah yeah that that one exactly and that one was going to be like like that was going to be in a way i just pulled the trigger like you didn't you know at two years because like it was supposed to be like even longer and i was just like this is all I've got effort, like, you know, energy for right now. It's just so much to, to build and edit and color grade and do all these things. It's, it's really fun. Like you said, it's, it makes you so happy and you're never really satisfied, but I guarantee like, well, at least for this, how I feel like years later, you are more and more satisfied. Like the satisfaction kind of drips out over time. Cause you're like, you know what? I really did put like so much energy into that. And yeah, I think people really felt it for sure. You would know when is the right time to post it. Mm. Like when I I decided, okay, I, I I'm gonna set the this, the premiere on the 27th of August, 
it felt right. You know, you didn't feel mm. like there's any more of a dread anymore. I knew, I knew that, okay, if, if I post it on this date, I'm happy. Because I've already spent this much time. I've already gotten this much clips. And I know that the product is going to be good. I'm happy. I'm satisfied with all of that. So once I put the date, I was quite happy with it because I know that I'm finally reaching an end point to this project. Mm. So yeah, it's a good feeling. And I would say this is certainly like the marliest stuff like to date that I've seen from you, you know, or at least some of like in the dive roll category for sure. But I'm like, do you feel that way about it? And, and if so, and it, regardless, I'm curious, like how, how do you feel? Cause I think we were talking about, you know, aging and getting older and like how it's like harder to get balance and training, especially if you're still pushing your, your game, like upward, at least if you still feel like you're pushing it, you know, in, in further dimensions. So do you, how do you feel like this project, um, sits and, you know, do you see yourself getting better and like, how is it going to be balanced? And like, even in this side, in this project, was it like, um, more difficult in some ways, just balancing all the, all your life, uh, categories with, with still pushing yourself in training? For me, I don't think it was like the gnarliest because I feel that dive rolls didn't feel physically extremely difficult to do. Like, oh, yeah. you don't need like, a lot of power, you know, like plyos, bigger plyos and stuff would definitely require harder power output. Mm. And I don't think during that four years, uh, I was at my like peak of jumping power in a sense. But that's the beauty of it, I guess. Like the dive rolls, they didn't require extreme power it's more technical like the way i push it was more towards the technical feel mm. and like even the downwards dive roll is more about how you can absorb impact rather than how you, how far you can jump yeah. so it's quite different i didn't feel physically um, pushed to my limits but mentally yes i think mentally there were some that were very very difficult yeah I was surprised that. Yeah, I, I mean, that, I guess that's what I mean by gnarly is the ment for me yeah. the mental challenges are are probably the more gnarly in my in my worldview yeah. I guess because if I can get in shape and I had to like you know choose like recreate project dive dive roll two or recreate you know any number of jumps I'm gonna choose the jumps yeah. <laughs> personally because I know how intense that must be to go head first at anything. Um, yeah, you know, I've did, I've done like one gnarly dive roll in my, maybe more than one, but one that I stands out. And I, yeah. I just, that was like, I remember it was like one of the hardest lines I ever had to film. And one of the hardest things I ever had to do because it just, you, like you said, it's, even if it's downward, I would say like, yeah, it's, you, you only have to absorb it. Right. But if you, if you just don't do something right. At least for me, like I hit my hip hard on a concrete edge or, or a ground because of just my body is, you know, pretty thinly fleshed. <laughs> it doesn't have as much padding, but you're super jacked. I feel like you have to like pretty strong. So I don't know if that helps you. I've like, I've wondered if people with like just big backs and just, you know, big glutes and stuff, if they like can, can absorb more on the back. But I also feel that I'm conditioned a lot because I just do so many roles and over the years I just build up so much resistance mm. and uh, yeah it's like 
like it doesn't feel so painful like i remember back in the days when i first do rolls on concrete it hurts so bad but right now it just feels okay i mean there is still some impact going on but i can i was i'm able to take the impact a lot better like my body doesn't say it's painful anymore it's, i mean it still has impact but it doesn't hurt you know mm. not as much as before so i think the the number of times i've done rolls really conditioned my like shoulders my back my hip a lot so that's why i can kind of keep doing more and more rolls in the video because like some of the rolls do take more than one attempt so yeah it it does build up and sometimes i will have to take breaks in between the shoot dates because yeah the next day it will be like <laughs> like bruised a little bit yeah and it's, it's only smarter to just rest it up first and then go for it when you're fresher yeah, yeah i think that's that's why it took quite long as well i guess yeah that's I love that because I feel like, you know, if you know um, about me in this podcast, sometimes I'm really into fighting and I, I, I sometimes view parkour as a martial art more than uh, more than anything and yes. at its core. And and I love the idea that we sometimes get in a fight with these challenges, you know, yeah. like we actually can get beat up by these challenges. Obviously, you had that infamous yeah. bail um, off of the, you know, that big over over the you know railing or not railing but i guess it's a rail shelf, onto, a shelf, uh, <laughs> onto that shelf you know the one that dom had pioneered initially yeah. um which i thought i watched your backstory video on that and i found that super interesting that there was that it was a different location because i didn't notice until you brought it up at the very end of the video i, that... I didn't notice as well oh, really? I really didn't know that there was a difference i mean i know that it's not the exact same spot yeah but i didn't expect that the difference was actually two feet more. Yeah. So I don't know. Super interesting yeah. because that definitely changes the trajectory of, you know, it having like to, to have like a more successful role, you would have had to gone like really upward and really downward to like meet the, the shelf yeah. so that your hip comes off the edge at the right spot or yeah, just I like change Dom, your, I would say Dom would still be able to do it at that same spot. That yeah, I no doubt. Yeah. I don't think it was like, um, it's just like, they're both difficult, but you know, yeah. it's just, it's crazy how much it can play into like that, that key, especially when you, when you're having so much impact that you kind of really have to just come off of an edge. Like, that's, what's so yeah. cool about the dive roll in some cases is yeah. it's almost like you're spreading your landing or your impact absorption out. Like you only do half on the roll and then half on the ground. Like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. because, exactly. because the, the technique allows for that in a way. And that's kind of what's sort of like unique and like i think so powerful about the dive roll and why you can take it so large is you don't actually have to take it all on that first right. impact exactly. if you if you know how to do it right but it's just like oh it's tough that's co so cool though exactly because that one required both to be good like both yeah. your absorption on the hands mm -hmm. and then the second landing <laughs> on the floor yeah and yeah both of them is so hard to control actually yeah man i'm definitely inspired i actually took a dive into i was riding my bike and so my shoulders are bashed up and and a little bit scraped from from falling off my bike but once they're ready to i want to do some more rolls as well from from watching you um so just kind of keeping on that point that we were a little bit gone earlier i don't know if we got there yet is just what do you see in, in the future for your training like do you see it developing in any certain way um as 
you know, do you feel like you're going to keep pushing yourself mentally? Or are you going to try to get into more physical challenges again now that you've put these, you know, huge dive rolls in the in the rear view for a little while? I feel like I'm, I'm very much a physical jump person. I like power jumps. I like flyers and stuff. So I, I'm always trying to to keep pushing my power. Mm. So and, and that makes me really happy whenever I find a day where I jump really good. And I'm always trying to chase, you know, to for all those fresher days. Mm. You know? And to me, I, I don't think I'm I hit my peak yet. I feel that my my squats has been improving. I feel just some days I still jump. Like I surprise myself sometimes. I can still jump really far. Although I think still maybe four to five years ago there was a period in my life where I squatted a lot and I really hit some of my furthest jumps during those phase. So I always kind of want to go back there. Although it's, it's kind of hard because you know power is kind of temporary. It, it's kind of sucky to feel that way because you can never. Always jump your furthest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's always a point where if you don't, you know, like build up with all the tri- the past weeks of training, then power you will usually uh, be gone. You know, like it won't be fully gone, but it won't be like your max. Yeah. So to me, I feel as long as you know, like my average days, I can still you know conquer some of the challenges that I I used to do. It's already progress. Like my like improving on my average days, uh, I guess could be mm. how I see progress at for the moment. And uh, anyways, I've been training for so long, and if I continue, if I want to continue training for longer, I also have to find other ways to progress, not just physically. Uh, yeah. So mentally, I would say, uh, I, I would approach it in a safer manner. Where sometimes some mental jumps. Uh, super risky and I'm at the stage where I don't want to be you know crippled or like not able to move anymore yeah like uh, I'm coaching quite frequently so uh, if I I turn up for class with you know crutches and stuff it's not a good image (laughs) so I really want to be you know fit while teaching my classes as well so I do value my body a lot and you know like there are still a lot of mental uh, challenges that you know, can be scary yet safe. Mm-hmm. So I just want to play in that area a little bit more. And of course, there's still the technical aspect of parkour. There's usually these three pillars, mm. the physical, mental, and technical. So I think in the video, I, I played a lot on the technical side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, there are, the, most of the technical parts do play along with the other two as well. Yeah. So yeah, I guess... I'm also trying to get better at things that I don't usually do. Maybe like flips and stuff. Like I don't really do a lot of twists. I'm still working on trying to get my double fulls properly. Mm. But yeah, so it's still fun. You know, there's always new things to try. And I've, yeah, I've never really found, uh, I never really get bored of, you know, training. There's always new things to do. So yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I'm in a similar phase. I'm even... Yeah, I'm even starting to trick and things here and twist myself every now and then. Um, yeah. What I'm glad you mentioned this phrase peak because I'm curious what your thoughts are on it because I, you know, I, I'm fascinated with it, especially because I'm just I'm I'm in the thick of the gray of just not knowing like 
is it really behind me like, like this peak you know what peak is behind me and what peaks are still ahead of me and which one am i in and i'm just curious you know what are you well how do you see it and you know in terms of like what is a person's peak you know or do you see multiple versions of it and when yeah when when um do you feel like do you feel like you've had some peaks that have already come and gone do you feel like there's some in front of you and, and which ones do you feel like you're in right now i feel like uh to, there are some very obvious ways to measure somebody's mm. uh, maximum or like peak yeah yeah but... say like numbers for example how far you jump or how much you can squat and stuff like that uh, those your prs those are usually your what you would consider your peak mm-hmm. since you've uh, that's your best attempt so far but mm-hmm. you know it comes and goes sometimes my pr can be really high on, on one day and then it goes down and suddenly I have another peak and it doesn't really beat the first peak but it's still it's still something very close to that so it, it still feels like I'm in a stage where I'm still creating some progress so it's kind of funny um, but you know it, it's so hard to tell it's like if you can jump really far on one day but mentally you still can't commit to that same jump up high uh, but previously in the past, you may, you may not be able to jump that far, but you were just at peak confidence mm-hmm. and you will still be able to commit really quickly to the jump. It doesn't take you that long to you know commit to that jump. Then it's also kind of like a peak where you're just so confident with your ability to move and your limits. So you kind of uh, can achieve a lot. Yeah, in a way, I think you're just like what you just made me think of is like, it's again, those three pillars. So you can have like a peak in the mental, you can have a peak in the physical, you can have a peak in even the technical. And maybe you could describe even this part, this dive rule two project as sort of a technical peak, you know, in terms of your dive rule capability, like that might be the high watermark right now for you is just like, that's as gnar, like that's as technical as I wonder how much more. Yeah. There's no much thinner I can go. With yeah, you could go a little bit more, but it's going to take like <laughs> exponentially more effort every yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. And then same with the physical, like I I might have like put my physical, like my just max, you know, squat and or jumping like distance outputs behind me. I don't really know that to be fair, because I yeah. think if I if I really dedicated, I could probably put more out because yeah. it's not like I ever really, you know, went for the number that was the highest number like super hard but then there's like what i'm thinking of is like there's also like um there's combinations of the peaks so what's yeah, your highest yeah. physical and technical you know like when did those two like the average of them become the highest and then there's even all three like when you're that might be considered the ultimate peak is when your physical the average of your peaks was the highest does that yeah, make sense well, and so like that yeah. number is fascinating to me because that is like that one is so complex and it, of course it depends on what you're interested in and what your training style is that it could probably range from anywhere between like 20 and 50 or you know whatever age or just you know however many years or just it depends when you get into the game and all that but the the question that people kind of like baseline go to is like all right well all things considered like being equal let's say you started at and you were dedicated from an early age what would be like the best time in your life, you know, for, for, to hit those yeah. big numbers. And I, th- I go guess ahead. also make the peak last, you know, like how long can your peak last? Mm. Oh yeah. That's, that's another yeah. very important thing. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, please. Because 
I think the best athletes are those who are still going, you know, after like 15, 20 years. I guess in the Olympics, there are people who are still, you know, after 20 years, they're still meddling. They're mm. still like, you know, beating PRs and stuff like that. So I guess like knowing how to last so long and still making progress every now and then uh, is, is kind of the goal, I guess, for, for all of us. We're yeah. in it for a long term. Yeah, I guess to me, if I were to compare myself back when I was 18, 19, I could, back then I could train every day and I, mm. I would still have energy to go on and on and on. Maybe now I don't have that sort of endurance or stamina, but it's, I don't think it's that bad of a thing. Maybe I, I learned how to work with, you know, um, being more periodized periodized in my training i guess like i have more rest time in between yet i can still hit a high high peak Mm -hmm. in my training you know and that's how i kind of last longer as well yeah yeah it's kind of interesting i like that yeah and i that's like um yeah i think of just like you know like there's a mountain range that might just have more mass way more mass than just any single mountain you know or just like, you know, that, that length of sustained. And that's probably honestly the best way to have the highest peaks anyway, is to have just a really high sustained thing. Cause then you're so deep in the process that eventually you have just these crazy moments, you know, and, and how, and, and maelstroms of, of things were coming together for you. Um, because you're in you it. You mentioned so. earlier, like, the, now how I see, um, how good I am would be to see how average, even on average days, I can jump far. Like, mm. I, I will measure myself on those those days because I feel that that's the truest form of yourself. It's not every day you get to be fresh. Not every day you get to be like tip-top condition. So mm. uh, let's say if you're doing a shoot and you know you can, you can kind of plan the shoot to be on your peak, for example. So you have to kind of be good no yeah. matter what state you're in yeah that's a dangerous thing to plan your shoot to be like at your peak (laughs) like well pressure's on you might might get injured in that case if you're if you're not careful um what was i gonna say was (sighs) yeah man i mean it's just it's just fascinating stuff but i had something i wanted to ask you and it was related to just like, what does your movement mean to you? You know, like what keeps you going after all this time? Um, obviously it's enjoyable to train and push yourself. It could be just for the sheer joy of it. Is there anything like that in your mind, your movement kind of represents in your life? I think there's a couple of goals. I feel, I just feel that my, the constant uh, reason why I keep coming back to parkour is just uh, the self-improvement factor in it. There's always things that you can do to, to keep improving yourself. There's no one way of progression. Mm. That's why uh, I keep coming back to training. There's always something different you can do in that training session that can give you, uh, you know, that satisfaction in training. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's one. And I also think I want to push parkour in a, in a way where I inspire others to also push themselves. So just like uh, in Project Darfur 2, I want people to, uh, you know, find their, 
favorite movement. It doesn't need to be a dive or you know any any favorite movement. We try and push that one movement to its peak. You know, so I feel there's so so many ways to add value to the community. There's so many things that we haven't seen yet, and and it's really those people who dedicate so much time into that one skill or the, the one uh, specialty that makes Papua so amazing. You see people like Verti and Alice doing congainers out of new setups. Oh it's really God. crazy. Yeah, it's, I really love seeing those kind of moments. And of course, like most of them, they have, they are not just good at congainers. They're, they're good at everything else as well, mm-hmm. you know? But it is because they're, they're good at everything else. They're kind of able to put all of them together into their that one niche. Because I guess Berkey has so good concrete that his congainers are just amazing, super high and all that. Uh, so I think I do a lot of dive cons as well, maybe, or like I'm good at bios. So dive rolls to me, is, I, I already have the, the, the technique or the power yeah. to kind of dive part. So it's more about how well I can absorb and all that. So yeah, I think be, being able to push your niche is also something really cool that I, I find, like I want more people to do that as well. Yeah, and when I whenever I coach or I just just want to let them uh, find their own path and let them know that whatever they're doing, they have to enjoy it. You know, I guess that's the the whole point of parkour. If you you're not enjoying what you're doing, then uh, you won't go. You won't stay here for long. Mm-hmm. You have to. It will come naturally. I I feel, but also I don't want them to be like scared by other people's motivations and stuff. They have to, they have to seek it in some way or another. It will come naturally, but also, you know, you want to be able to ask yourself these questions and hopefully find the answer as well. Mm. Yeah, no doubt. Um, have you ever found like you've had those moments in your own training where the joy is, is, I mean, we talked about it, I guess a little earlier, the dread of the project even, is that, is that ever like, more uh pernicious or more like does it co- does it come to to you in, in different times of your training even when you're not filming a project or is it just the pressure of of when you're dedicating yourself to a project that can sometimes introduce feelings other than joy mm, i don't feel dread in training itself but yeah it was only when i was filming for a project that i felt that specific dread Mm. I guess sometimes when I do get injured and I, I'm unable to move, then I, I do kind of like hate that that feeling of just not being able to move and you know, the whole thought process of like, oh no, what, what am I going to do for the next one or two months now mm. that I'm out from, of training? But I guess it's, it's, a, it's a process that we all will go through at some point. And I, I've started to find other ways to keep myself happy. You know, one of the the biggest investments that I, I had for myself was to get my home gym. Mm. And it was during that period where I kind of fell in love with things other than popcorn, you know, like it's not always, you know, having to jump far or like do flips and stuff to, to in order to, to be good at something. Because mm. I feel that, you know, just being able to just move or like have a wider range of abilities is also really helpful. And yeah. if you're just stuck at, oh, I have to be able to do good dive rolls for the rest of my life, then, <laughs> you know, like you, you won't, won't be able to feel happy for a long time. 
So you kind of have to spread out, you know, your happiness, things to make you happy about. And yeah, uh, you know, like even when I was injured, when I was coaching, when I see other people achieve new stuff, it kind of makes me happy. And it, I still relate that to parkour, even though mm-hmm. it's not me doing parkour. So uh, yeah, in the end, I don't really dread parkour itself. I just dread some parts of it where, you know, uh, I can't move or like it's something that has too much pressure on myself. Mm. Yeah. Well said. Um, and then coaching, is that your primary, like that's your, that's what you do for work these days? Uh, yes. And that's kind of, that sounds like it's going well. Um, I know you wanted to mention some things coming up with Lion City Gathering. And right, right, I don't right. know if there's any, um, any, if that's a good time to, to get into some of that. Yeah, but. Yeah, so coaching is definitely my full-time job right now. Uh, I do a lot of private lessons at the moment. So mm-hmm. I'm quite lucky that people, you know, in Singapore, they, they know me and they, 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 are, they are interested to learn and to pay a premium for it and all that. Usually, I started out doing group classes, mm-hmm. and those were really fun as well. I really built up my, you know, like my technical knowledge in in coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a totally different skill set, so I, I kind of like that challenge a lot. Um, and you know, in the end, I feel that it's really just connecting with the people that you're teaching. That they want to learn from a human as well. They're not just paying money to, you know, just learn from a robot. I guess. But yeah. I, I really value, you know, like that, the connection with people and yeah. I that, feel that, you big time. I've, I've, um, I've often like thought of like, and again, I'm, I'm nerdy, I guess, but here's my thing is I see like so much of, um, uh, like guru almost culture. Like, I don't want to make it like weird or anything for people, but like I saw, or like a Jedi apprentice kind of like relationship that happens between students and teachers and I love the fact that like there is like a lineage almost. And again, that goes back to like martial arts kind of um, right. just it's the true. way that I map it in my head. But there's 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 a lineage to like your your instruction and, and who you take on as your master or your guru, you know, yeah, and really. and I, I feel like, sorry. Yeah, I never actually saw it that way. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, no, well, I, I think like I've always felt well, I don't know if always, but I certainly feel that way now. And I feel like it's really cool to see like, you know, your students or um, people that even if it's not under a, a, a formal setting, you know, like it might not be like one of my biggest teachers, obviously, as you probably know, is Dylan Baker. And he right. was, you know, we, we, we trained together, but it wasn't like um, necessarily under the tutelage of like, you know, a private right. lesson, it, it doesn't always have to be as at that, at that explicit level, but I see right, that. Right. And you like you, I'm sure like even Dom is like certainly a, a teacher to all of us, yeah, you know, right. and, and what he's shown, showing all of us what's possible and what we can do. And so it's just, we all have, um, the internet has made everyone like accessible as a guru in some ways, which is super hmm. cool. But, um, and like your project Dival obviously is just, you know, the same, same kind of thing, but, I do really love that what you were speaking to about the the humanness past or the human aspect of of that coach student or like apprentice master kind of relationship because for the people that really take it seriously and and like not take it seriously but maybe just the people that are super passionate about it I feel like they end up you know really 
really, really, really utilizing that relationship or those relationships to the max. That's true. So I think parkour, the other thing that keeps me coming back, mm. uh, apart from my, you know, like progressions and stuff, is really the people in the community, like students, um, just like your, your friends in the community. I think there's so much to do that uh, just gives me so much joy. So other than coaching, I'm also the um, vice president of Parkour Singapore. It's like an association where we run mm -hmm. events and stuff like that. And the fact that I can run competitions and events and workshops and stuff like that in our country, it feels like I'm giving back. You know, like mm -hmm. there's an avenue for me to, to, to showcase this sport because there's just not a lot of places where we can do that. Uh, so whenever I get the chance to do it, I feel really happy. And, and I'm quite lucky that a lot of people know me and the sports in our country. Like I, I started YouTube way back in the days and somehow uh, there was a lot of people who already followed me. So they know my videos because we had amazing sports. Mm. Yeah. We, and we still have time, of course. We, we only lost the maze. Mm -hmm. But still, uh, there's still a lot of amazing spots. And that's the reason why Lion City Gathering has that, you know, um, special, um, I guess that, you know, that it's special because we have so many spots. And it started back in, you know, at the like running gun style, we don't have any permits. Mm -hmm. You know, if the police come, we have to move off. But yeah, we managed to make it work for the first two years and stuff like that, which kind of put us on the map. And I'm just really happy that, you know, like this event took off. And now uh, we have grown so much that we have to, you know, uh, start working with the government officials. We start getting permissions for like legit permissions to run our events at those spaces. Um, but of course, we started to have to spend a lot more money and mm. we actually did a lot more work in like the admin, administrative side of things. So yeah. I've actually learned a lot of, you know, paperwork stuff, which is not exactly something that I super enjoy, mm -hmm. but I still kind of find that my effort is going to be paid off once all the athletes are here and they're all having a good time. So, yeah, I think LCG is also one of my highlights. I would say LCG, in terms of projects, you know, I feel LCG probably require even more effort than Project Baffle, you know what I mean? Because mm. there's just so much more people to deal with. You know, Project Baffle is my personal project, mm. but there's like, once you include like the rest of the world and the community mm. and the government officials, the malls and stuff like that, then it's just, it's just a whole bunch of headache. But yeah, I learned to work with people and yeah, it just becomes something that, you know, if you, if you show your passion to show that you're truly in this for the for the good i think people will support it even the the people who you know in singapore is still pretty backwards honestly but uh, the, the more we try the more we push somehow people still support so mm. this this kind of a good thing so um yeah you just have to find the right people to support you as well and just have people along the way that will help you fight for that same passion and that's how I guess you can last for a long term as well. So it really boils down to really human connection, I guess. It mm -hmm. keeps me going and to keep the sport alive. If you're just training parkour for yourself, uh, yeah, you'll be happy, but 
there's just so much more left to give, you know, like there's so much, there's still an empty space after that. So I guess coaching and, you know, doing all this community event stuff kind of gave me like a new purpose, you know, it's greater than self. Mm. And yeah, I think without it, I'll be a lot of, I'll be a lot different, I guess. So I feel ever since being a coach, ever since running events, uh, the way I approach parkour training has been so different. Yeah. Can you tell us more about how, how it's different? Yeah. Uh, okay. I think one of the biggest ones was, you know, back in the days, I used to climb roofs a lot, post mm. videos about it. And, you know, unfortunately, one of the videos, uh, the police caught, caught up with it. Mm. Uh, I don't know. It just got viral for a little bit. And I thought it was viral for good reasons, you know, like the good parkour stuff in there and stuff like that. But the comments, slowly I start to see like people talking about the roof and like, oh, trash, I'm, I'm trespassing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's dangerous stuff. I'm like walking on high balconies and stuff like that. Um, then I receive a letter from the police saying that, oh, um, you're, the, the mall has complained that I, I like got onto their rooftops and you know, like there's a security breach and all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of scary. Uh, and that's actually the, you know, it's Singapore and it's really, really strict here. Mm. So I think Stora actually came to Singapore before and they did the exact thing, same thing. They climbed a very popular mall in the city and um, they posted a video about it and the police sent, sent them some reports and stuff. So they actually had to take the video down and write a full apology letter for it. So I kind of had the same thing. Um, the funny thing was that I was in US when I was, um, I, I received that letter. Oh, yeah. So it was only when I went back after three <laughs> months of traveling that I had to you know, give my passport to the, to the, I put my passport through the machine and oh. it got confiscated. Then the next thing I know, I already expected it because I know that's yeah. what's going to be happening. But uh, yeah, I went straight to the police station from with all my bags and everything. And <laughs> yeah, I just had like, it Is wasn't that... a bad, I wasn't locked up or anything. I, I just had to do a full on interview. I was, in, I was in a bit of a lockup for maybe six to eight hours. Hmm. And then I had to go home and my passport was confiscated for a time being. So my punishment was I couldn't you know, travel for like four months. And I had to keep reporting back to the police station for every two weeks or something. But yeah, I didn't have to pay a fine. So I was kind of lucky. Um, but because of that incident, Parkour Singapore uh, had a bad reputation. You oh, know, wow. Because like the news actually covered about the whole issue. Yeah, you know, I actually first received the news articles about it. And then shortly after, I received the police letter. So it was quite a lot to deal with when I was traveling. I was quite like scared of about the whole thing. But uh, yeah, ever since that um, incident, I learned that, you know, my actions is, can cause so much more impact than I think, you know, mm. like if I were to be a vice president of Parkour Singapore and I'm, I'm promoting trespassing in the community, then I don't think it will push Parkour to any further you know, positive light because you know, th then the governments won't give me grants. The governments won't support building a parkour park because that's the, the reputation of parkour is just, you know, roof climbing. 
and mm-hmm. trespassing and illegal stuff like that. So there was a lot to kind of um, erase from that incident. A lot of like public like PR stuff, and I had to like have to like prove to them that you know like I've, I'm going to do more community work to promote like benefits of parkour and all the good stuff about parkour. And recently, I think we also uh, got viral again because uh, some of our classes, we run seniors parkour classes. So uh, it went on the news, like some of the seniors were doing parkour with us. So um, even the the press, the, the prime minister shared about the article. So there was a, quite a lot of good news awesome. after that whole incident. So you kind of like, and slowly building up again and i guess we just need to keep building up the good press in our country so that you know people don't see parkour as that you know that anti-social or like dangerous activity you know there's so so there's still a lot of work that needs to be done mm-hmm. but you know i think it will pay off eventually and it is tiring work because it's still kind of boring work in a sense um, but if you're looking at it long term, hopefully, you know, like with all this work, Singapore, Singapore can finally get a parkour park or Singapore can finally get, you know, a, a, a good monetary support from the government every year, for example. And then we can run even bigger events. We can start flying bigger athletes to our events and stuff. But yeah, there's a lot of work that people don't actually see when people run, when people attend events. Uh, they will still question, oh, that ticket price is so expensive or, you know, like stuff like that. I feel like the community is still pretty young, I guess. Mm-hmm. So they, they will still take some time to, to start to realize, okay, there's a reason why the event fees are so expensive. There's a reason why even parkour gyms, like the classes are this expensive. It's just because it's just a hard business, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I guess also the people who join our community, they're not exactly rich. You know, so, and they're also just not used to spending. Since maybe 10 years ago, Parkon was never something that you have to pay money for. So there's a lot of things that needs to be evolved in order for Parkon to continue to grow. And yeah, it's, it's just a whole whole new thing. So it's quite, quite, quite interesting to see how everything has changed you know, like from 2007 when I first started all the way to now. Yeah. Yeah, man. You're a hero. Um, thanks for, I mean, even though I don't obviously live in Singapore, I know one day I'm going to be wanting to visit there and um, yeah, yeah. appreciate the work you're doing to build out that, that whole community. What can I ask what you meant by is that, I mean, it sounds like it's sort of inherent, but is that sort of what you mean with these interrogations and stuff? Like, what did you mean when you said that Singapore is kind of backwards? I mean, with their approach to things well i guess if i think if people visit singapore they might feel it even more i'm sure the, the athletes who came to singapore now understand that it's not not a joking manner when you know uh you, you shouldn't be doing any trespassing or you shouldn't be doing any illegal stuff here mm-hmm. some of them who they did some descents at the train stations and they they immediately got uh, contacted uh, the, the police is so efficient they're, they're able to find uh, your contact details and everything uh. Uh, just from an Instagram video that we posted online so we had to kind of educate all the athletes that come to Singapore 
to really stay away from you know being in the public's eye like you, you can train you know like just make sure that you're doing things that you know people won't like take a photo of and, and like submit it to the police because there's just so many people who are just just i don't know they're just vigilantes they just want to be ah i want to snap a photo <laughs> of this even with the covid rules and everything in singapore if you're if you're down if you just take off your mask for a little while people can snap photo and they can just report it to the police and you know wow. it's just quite lame that people goes go go that far i mean i'm not talking about every single singaporean but there are yeah. just that couple of people that can you know mess you up so uh, that's what happened i guess with brody i guess and also lam mm. this other vietnamese dude both of their passports got confiscated for a little while because they had to go through some interrogation in the police station to find out what they're doing at the train station when they are doing the descents yeah so all these incidents uh just prove how serious it is in singapore where you just can't break any laws uh, so and also it's not just for them but it's really for the greater picture that you know you know we, we don't want lcg to be known as uh that police like that event where uh, you get reported to the police all the time you know we get complaints yeah. and all so yeah the first the first lcg storo actually climbed a roof and um we also get into police trouble for that and there was also the <laughs> singapore police why, they don't mess around man yeah man it's strict it's really strict i think in asia generally it's very very strict um, especially where in singapore we are still like pretty first world i mean if you if you go to like lesser developed countries you can get away with the bribing the police and stuff but mm. here there's no such thing as that mm. so um yeah exactly so I, i really think that people i guess now now they know and they they have been a lot better when they come to singapore they know what to expect but when we first started we also didn't brief the athletes so uh, it's very common for them to just you know climb up a roof and not know the the impact that, that could bring it was also the reason why we couldn't get permits for certain spots because we had police troubles before mm. there's a lot of people a lot of residents that complain and you know for them to give us permits for using their spots they're not gaining anything really Uh, it's us that gets to gain from it. Yeah. So we have to really, really fight to to kind of prove to them that it's a good thing. But usually they they don't really see it our way. So it's going to be a hard, uh, hard time convincing them. Well, I have two questions for you. One is kind of simpler. I was just like, what are they asking you when they're in when you're interrogated for six to eight hours? You know what kinds of things are they just like making sure like what does it seem like they're worried about is it worried about i mean it's the standard stuff like is it a liability yeah. thing in singapore where people get sued that's kind of like what people you know so. sometimes first go to in america here but you know is it worried about um maybe some kind of terrorism or some kind of you know just yeah. something even more there's one of the points but i feel it's just a formality thing mm. you know like uh if you if you get reported for trespassing maybe that's like breaching on the mall's security and they, they want to find out like how you got in and what are the ways you kind of yeah. use to get into the building. 
and then the purpose behind it. Uh, for me, I was just taking videos. So I was just saying that I really just love taking videos. I'm, I'm not here to like steal anything yeah. or like plant a bomb or something. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I just proved to them that all these photos I took was, you know, yeah, just photos, you know, it's yeah. not like any secret thing. So yeah, there's a lot of formalities. So I had to keep reporting back to them with all these new documents. And it was quite a full-on process. Jeez. Just kind of tiring. Uh, it's just the law in Singapore. But, uh, you know, I got away I got away without paying a fine. So I'm, um, as long as you kind of like follow all the laws, you'll be fine, honestly. So, so they're reasonable, yeah. but they sometimes are tedious, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, so you just don't want to get into that situation yeah. in the first place. Well, how does this compare? Because obviously you've done some traveling, like when you're in the United States or Australia or, um, you know, the UK, I don't know if you've been to the UK recently, but, you yeah. know, there is like more lax, like in the UK is like, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but I think it's interesting looking at what the United Kingdom does sometimes because it feels like they can get away with loads more in, in that, you know, just the way the government is set up and the way that um, police are empowered or not empowered to to act on on you know civil disobedience or trespassing or things like that have you noticed that and like how what do you feel like when you're in those different countries and, and the culture has shifted in some places you can get away a lot more mm-hmm. but even then uh, you still face guards like chasing you out of spots and and then sometimes if you react badly, badly to those situations, then, you know, you're just not going to have a good time. You know, like, like sometimes you can get into really uh, yeah. unfortunate situations where, you know, like people just throw things at you. But yeah, I guess it's really case by case as well, not just country by country. So if you're unlucky at UK, you can also get a fine. I believe so. Um, if you're, but of course, uh, I guess the people over there, I, I just follow what the locals say sometimes. Yeah. Like if they feel like it's safe to climb this roof, then I'll just follow. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to just um, let them guide me. And usually I try not to, to make any trouble. Uh, and so far, I haven't got into much trouble while traveling overseas. Um, but most of the time, I'm, I'm not traveling alone. I have people that are locals to guide me so they know better than me so i feel safe and i'm you know i'm following their guidance so i don't think i'm breaking any laws yeah but yeah still something that you know like whatever all the experience i have in singapore i also learn to kind of be respectful and you know i don't want to like cause any you know public image to be destroyed you know i know i know the feeling when people who come to my country and then uh you know like put us oh like yeah that. i guess same with you know uh, roof culture and maybe the hong kong police i know the hong kong community has um faced quite a number of issues i guess i'm not sure the full details but i guess that's the kind of impact you know mm. things can happen but i mean people will do whatever i, I, I still respect stories projects and everything mm-hmm. with roof culture but well, you that's... know there's there's some things you know that can <clears throat> that's uh, that's definitely something that we should all be conscious of right yeah. you know, what kind of impact we're having if, if we're going to take it because you know i've definitely 
been known to take my training up into roofs and to be pretty public with it in some cases and and potentially um detrimental to the image of parkour in my local scene or or even broad more broadly but that brings like a very interesting question to me it's just like okay well then where's the distinction and like what is like you know how do you how do you dis dis discern between like is this something that and it's probably up to the individual or, or you know whatever but you know what i mean like are we going to lose something if we never go up on roofs basically i think so i think in my my instinct is like all right well i don't know i haven't like dove down to the bottom of this question but let's say you know we get the parkour parks we want we get everything um funded from the government and parkour in the future is practiced exclusively in in you know designated space i don't know if we we didn't lose something in the process if that's the case in my, you know what i mean so i'm just curious like how do we how do we ride that line and, and where do you do you have like something that you can point to that you that you use as like a guiding principle when it comes to like all right am i going to get on this roof is it worth it to me yeah. is it worth it to the community for me i think singapore is out of bounds you know because i'm a, I'm a you know a spokesperson for mm. parkour in singapore so i don't want to risk that anymore mm. but when i go overseas i feel that i have that luxury again to 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 explore and do more uh, rooftop stuff but mm. i always try and ask you know the locals if that's okay you know if if i mean I mean, maybe I can climb the roof, but I don't post anything online. Mm -hmm. Some stuff like that. I guess people can can start asking these questions whenever they travel. I feel that's uh, that's something good to to do, you know. And I know it, it might suck because you know maybe you travel and you just want to to see uh, the rooftops over there and all that. Mm -hmm. But maybe I've grown to appreciate to not go up there anymore. I had my fair share of it in the past. Uh, I already know how is it like to be up there, but uh, if if you know if I were to go to a country and I know that um, that I might get into trouble if I were to climb out on this roof, then maybe it's just better to just stay low. Mm. Yeah, but if the locals say yeah, it's totally safe and you won't get into any trouble, and they themselves have been going up there, so uh, then I'll feel a lot safer and I'll, I don't mind. You know, like I can finally go up another new roof again. So yeah, I think if we have these conversations with the local scene community and be respectful of each other's scenes feel that we will get yeah we'll be a lot nicer to one another and we won't risk getting into troubles ourselves or like putting them into trouble mm -hmm. yeah fair play and when it comes to like artistic like you're shooting for a video um let's say no one's done something, but you see something and you're like, oh man, it wouldn't it be like <laughs> amazing if somebody did that. Like, obviously like, you know, they're not gonna build a anytime soon. Like when they do build a parkour park, they're not gonna build one probably large enough for someone like Dom to like test his front flip limit because why would they put like a 30 foot drop or whatever, you know, like in a, in a parkour park because, you know, only one person can use it. That's kind of also like a factor in my mind is like, there's always going to be that desire to like extend into the unknown, you know? And like we talked about earlier, just push, you know, the infinite possibilities that um, are available within parkour. So, um, 
when it comes to like big game, you know, terrain or like, I call it big game hunting when it's like, <laughs> you're looking for challenges that are like, these ones are, are super high up or roof culture, Asia, like all those ones are very, uh, I'm curious, do you see, do you see anything that like you want to see that's maybe not, um, that would be breaking the rules, but you still want to see it. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like there's so much more you can do even without, you know, breaking the rules. Mm. And I guess people use that to kind of gain viral um, virality, I guess, mm. because like roof culture won't be so prominent with, without the fact that there's so many security guards, so many police incidents in their mm -hmm. video. But I, I guess, you know, like Dive Road, the project Dive Road 2 didn't require, require me to dive roll a roof gap like a, like a full-on roof gap mm -hmm. for me to, to get you know this much recognition and, and all that and I, i'm sure that you know dom does a lot of dive runs without you know breaking the rules i guess there are some that yeah. are like on the line of it but nothing too much you know i guess now even the manpower gap people do get into trouble i guess you yeah. have to climb a gate or something to get up and i think even the french locals there might have some trouble i guess i'm not sure i, I yeah, thought yeah. about it no that's but a very yeah. good point i actually was thinking about that earlier yeah the manpower is like it's this iconic gap and yet it's sort of you know it's it's like genesis is rooted in in sort of a trespass in a way you know just because i'm sure they didn't really ask for permission to do that although ultimately i'm sure they did when they shot commercials and things for it but but, yeah, I don't know. It's really a fine line. And well, I guess and if you, yeah. I was just going to say, that's what I was speaking to. And it's like, well, are we going to lose something if we, if we, you know, but the thing is also to ask is like, if we lose something, is it worth it? You know, what are we going to gain by, by that? And that's, I think also what you're speaking to is like, there's so much to be gained by bringing parkour into like this um, sphere of, of acceptance and recognition and respect amongst the the worldwide community that's just should be accounted for everybody right. will have their own viewpoints about it yeah yeah and it's hard to kind of align everybody's viewpoint to that one thing but i guess as long as you feel that whatever you're doing is right i guess like everybody has that you know the right or wrong how they how they view right or wrong so as long as you know that whatever you're doing won't be a detriment to your awkward journey or like your the people in your circle i guess mm -hmm. uh then like uh then go for it you know you can do whatever you want <laughs> well but, there's that Sorry, yeah. I was going to say there's that trajectory as well, where it's like, there's a certain time where we're all just going to probably be a little bit less concerned with the community in some ways and be a little more selfish in our training. And then yeah, yeah. that starts to flatten out and go into a, a different area, like you were saying, just in your own journey. And, and certainly, wow. I think in most people, as they mature through their training, they, they have certain eras. And it's like, yeah, like, it's understandable if someone goes through that phase and they're like, I'm just going to push myself and push the limits. And that's what I'm doing. I'm a teenager. And it's like, you know what do you, and then when you're a little bit older, um, you know, it probably wouldn't work the same to, to approach it the yeah. same way. Well, I guess people also change along the way. Like, yeah. I also changed along the way. And it's because of all the experience I go through that I realized that, Hey, I think there's more, important stuff out there 
rather than always having to go up on rooftops. Mm. And if you're in it for the long term, if you're, you're looking at it like for long term, maybe it's worth the trade-off, you know? Yeah. Like maybe people won't be able to do manpower gap anymore, but, you know, you preserve that, you know, the iconic manpower gap. Like imagine the locals threaten to, you know, demolish that, that building, that roof gap thing that shelter yeah. that you're jumping from, then, you know, you, I think that's a bigger loss. I'd rather have that uh, manpower gap still exist, but we can't climb up or we, we are just not allowed to do anything over there. But at mm. least you preserve, you know, that historic landmark. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a poor example. I guess manpower gap, I feel a lot of people has been doing that and it's been lasting for so long. And I, don't, I don't think it gets into very big trouble. No. But I guess if there is something more like, localized and like for example Badok Maze we lost Badok Maze also because we just didn't build up good reputations with um, the residents mm. I see it that way now but in the in the past like I wouldn't be able to think that way because I, I don't care about the residents or stuff like that but um, maybe it was because of that you know that store roof incident where they climbed up and residents complained and now you know like in the police community the government com- the town councils they know that these people exist and they've been causing trouble mm-hmm. and now they say uh, maybe it's better to just get rid of Budong May so that we don't get any more complaints so maybe mm-hmm. we lost that for that reason mm-hmm. so you know if we were a bit more like mindful about what we do during you know like that time I mean Budong May is pretty old spot so like when I was younger, I wouldn't think that far ahead. But it's things we we kind of realize along the way as we grow that you know, like there are better ways to do things that could kind of save some of our spots. But who would have known? Maybe it would still be demolished, I guess. But I guess mm-hmm. like doing this, at least uh, if I know like if Bedok Maze is built again in another neighborhood, I would definitely encourage people to you know be more respectful and like be more open to share parkour in a positive light rather than you know just climbing on their roofs just to take a video you know mm-hmm. it's not not, uh, not like a it's not really a worthy trade-off to me i'd rather have the spot you know? mm-hmm. important point yeah man it's crazy like and we'll see too as as a you know, obviously times are really wild right now, but I wonder as like we get older and we become the people that are living in these apartment complexes, you know, and we have a different understanding of it as the consciousness changes. I mean, just like worldwide, if there'll be less complaints just to begin with, with people, because, you know, you know, that's part of the revolution, I think of parkour and and just any fitness that's kind of like resurging um, is like, we're understanding that well, I'd like to think. I have no idea, actually. It's probably the who knows. The statistics might actually point the other direction. But I'd like to think that you know humans are are realizing the importance of physical health and fitness, and yeah. and making it accessible. And like they're we're realizing slowly, perhaps, but surely that you know there is there's no reason to really eliminate you know that that play component of life. Um, as you age especially you know when the environment and you know something is cool you know basically we just kept recess going you know as parkour athletes we kept that recess life 
in a, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have recess in your elementary schools, but that's what we called it in between classes, you know, but um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see if, if people are a little more receptive just generally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hopefully, I think everybody will grow. I guess every community will go through some of these. And I, I, I do hope that more and more communities take this initiative, you know, to kind of, I only gain all this knowledge by running events, mm. like trying to re do more community outreach to, you know, the local people, not just powerful people. And then, yeah, I start to realize, you know, oh, wow, there's so many things that normal people think of about parkour that, you know, is still very backwards or like still needs improving. And then like, it's also part of what we're not doing in, in order to improve that. So like doing more and more video on educating them about what, parkour really is like this general content that people can easily watch and know that parkour is safe you know like just a simple uh, like the senior parkour one is a very good image because you know mm. like you really remove all that barrier of entry you know like even your grandmother can do parkour so it's kind of things like this like this that we need to do more of to kind of show parkour in a more positive light and hopefully we start to get more and more access to you know, government support and you know like just general acceptance from society mm. yeah there's a maturation curve i think with every discipline yeah. and we're certainly a little bit early still but it's really cool yeah. to to participate in um is there anything else about lion city like about this year's event or um what's happening like well, in, in your community and your world right now that you want to yeah, even a local event like we can't we can't run any you can't do anything right now yeah yeah so it's kind of slow like the progress in events is very slow at the moment i think the most that we can gather in a group is like five mm. so yeah there's no point running events so actually it's been a good period of rest i guess from all the administrative stuff mm. um, but whenever we get the chance to you know revive this this whole community thing again uh, we definitely feel a lot ready and we're more rested for it. I think we're excited to, to start again. But now, I guess that also gave me a bit more time to work on my personal projects and stuff like that. Mm. So yeah, hopefully next year or next next year. I, I'm not sure. Even now, the borders are not opening up. Yeah, we'll see. It, it might, I mean, obviously, I don't know exactly what it's like in the Southern Hemisphere, but, you know, when it comes to you know, this coming months, October, November, December, and January, we're going to start to see maybe a resurgence. It starts to become flu season again, and yeah. it could get worse before it gets better. So hopefully we're all out of the woods soon. Um, are you, what, are there any other things that you feel like you're learning in this, in this downtime and like how the community is changing and evolving and that you foresee coming and when, when, in a, when things start to I guess it's kind of, it, it's almost seems silly sometimes to try to predict what's coming right now because of, right, right. <laughs> but I just think patience, like, mm. I just like, uh, I don't get to travel at all now. So I do miss being able to train with all my friends. And like, I, I feel that when I travel, I kind of progress so much just because you're always like when you travel, you're always training in Singapore, even though you're not traveling you're you're still working every day so you don't get the chance to train like consecutive days so many so many times in a row but when you're traveling 
you know, your whole purpose is to train, to travel and like meet people that is still within the parkour zone. So it's kind of uh, like you have no excuses not to train. But yeah, now I feel like I'm just being bombarded with work and, you know, like now I'm trying to get, save up enough money to get my own house and everything. So, um, well, the business is good. Like I have a lot of um, students, so I'm earning quite a, quite a good amount of money. So I'm not too worried about, you know, not finding a better job or something. But I do, I do feel like this period gave me a lot of time to reflect, to train. Uh, I, I train a lot more by myself even in, at home in my gym and I can really focus on really building my base again because I feel that, you know, like the injuries that we have talked about, uh, I, I still need to spend more time uh, building up again and I, I quite enjoy this whole process and I found, found that, you know, um, I, I started like doing content on um, mobility training and like strength training and, and stuff like that and I feel like yeah, it's kind of fun, you know, like not a lot of people in the parkour community does stuff like that. And during the the lockdown, there was the time where I was like making one video a week. And mm. I, yeah, it was quite, uh, to me, I don't do a lot of vlogs, but because of the, the lockdown, I kind of pushed myself to like still create content. You know, I can't, I can't actually go outside to train anymore, but I still found ways to create things that are meaningful for me. And hopefully for my viewers as well, yeah. But we are we're quite lucky that in Singapore we still can go out, you know, like training and stuff now, you know. And uh, that's the reason why Project Devil can still be filmed and all that. Mm. So, um, I I do still have more projects in mind. Uh, maybe not to the scale of Project Devil too, but I still want to go out and train and shoot stuff. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I just feel that my con content has been involved, evolving a lot. It's, it's diff very, very different from, you know, when I was younger where you know, I get, get to travel all the time and I, I, I get to train all the time. Mm. Now, uh, you know, like also with the algorithm and, and all this, the new ways to, to stand out, you kind of like have to make different videos to, uh, to still, you know, hit the audience. But of course, it has to be done in a way where you're still happy with your product. Yeah, it's just a lot of new things in mind that I feel like I, I evolved and I'm very happy with it. Awesome, man. That's great. Yeah, man, yeah. I I definitely think I should mention that, you know, you're at least with me achieving very much of that inspirational goal. You know, you definitely inspire me yeah. with your project you. and and speaking with you is has been even more inspiring. And so appreciate like awesome. everything you do. Thank you so and, much. And um, yeah, yeah, man. I mean, I don't know if there's much else for us to cover, but I really want to thank you for coming on. And yeah, thank um, you. I just want to thank you so much for this is episode number 100 of the really? <laughs> of, of Hydrops uh, kind of wow. return. So thank you for making the triple digit entry with me. <laughs> and um, yeah, man. Yeah, my, my honor as well for you coming on the program. And yeah, uh, if there's anything I else you like, want to... Yeah, uh, I think just being on your podcast, I feel like I finally have this opportunity to also talk a lot about all these topics that people don't really see. I think maybe people in my local community can see this, but on my online, I guess I'm not sure how, pe how, how deeply people know me through my online stuff mm. that I post. So it's good to have this avenue where I can get to share 
Um, but it, those people who, who meet me in person, they would probably hear a lot about this. So now I get to share this online as well with you. So I feel that, yeah, I'm very happy that people get to hear this side of my story as well. Yeah, me too, man. So, yeah. It's a very important part. Yeah, man. If there's anything else you want to share, please feel free. Otherwise, I will let everyone know, obviously, your links and everything in the description. It'll be all there and we can talk yeah. more about once we wrap here. Um, we can talk more about what you want me to put in there. But much awesome. love to you, brother, for coming on. Thank you so much. Wow, awesome right. time. Cheers. We'll call it there. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you, CP. Awesome, inspirational stuff from him. And real quick, I got to shout out Amino Co. as a sponsor of this episode. Their products, we have Heal and Perform, are the ones that I worked with. And yeah, basically these things have been clinically tested. They do amazing results. Um, I felt them. They were developed for NASA for at or astronauts that you know needed to have good muscle, muscle protein synthesis and not have their bodies basically atrophy in space and so even without exercise these things like do some stuff which is crazy but with exercise obviously it's much more <laughs> important to to leverage those effects and make them work for you and it's great knowing that the work you're putting in is is you know just being that much more impactful and especially like to heal, you know, um, as someone who's getting older, I just want to give my body all the recovery things, you know, what I've learned with biological medicine and things where I'm working at now is also just how recovery is just the biggest component. You know, that's you hear it time and time again, but it is truly, um, the foundation of, of your health. So is, you know, just where you're at in your weakest points. And, and if you're going to tear your body down doing crazy things, you gotta provide a space to repair and become stronger let's get things stronger um yeah awesome stuff it's really cool to be in the triple digits now with height drop so thank you everyone for being a port port of this continuing on this journey with me and i'll be looking for feedback in the comments in the dms in the phone calls and text messages and whatever else as we move forward and um Real quick, I just wanted to shout out also a Eben Bartholomew because he was someone who I only met once and tragically passed um, recently. And he was at the Guernsey Reservoir trip and he was a great presence. And I really, you know, just want to appreciate him, give my condolences to his friends and family because anyone close to him, like I'm sure, feels. A huge loss you know he was a really cool person to, to meet and interact with and um, definitely will respect his life by trying to be more conscious with my own so much love to all of you guys and we'll see you on the next one goodbye